Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's various creatures. I'm Tim McNich. And I'm Rachel Wren. We are coming to you today with insights on Exodus 16, verses 2 to 15. This is the semi-continuous reading scheduled in the lectionary for September 20th. 2020. It's a lot of 20s, so don't get confused there. And Tim is bringing us some insights on manna. This is the manna from heaven story, right? It sure is. You know, on all of those 20s, I just have to say, we get sort of video messages from our uh, middle middle school principal, and he always calls the school year the 2020-2021 school year. <laughs> I always get confused. <laughs> Well, if you're confused about the Manna from Heaven story, then Tim is here to clear up all of your questions. Right, Tim? Yeah, I've got it. I've got it covered. (laughs) All right, what do you got? Yeah, this is definitely a cool story, but I want to say right off the bat that I think there's something more significant than the miracle here in this story that preachers can latch on to for a helpful sermon. And what that is, is the relational dynamic that's developing here between the people of Israel and their God. Mm, okay, I'm, I'm intrigued. What do you mean by that? So first of all, it's helpful to consider this story in its literary context. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so well, let's look at it through the wide angle lens of how it fits in the bigger picture of the Exodus and wilderness narrative in the Torah. This story comes uh, shortly after the dramatic deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. God brought them through the sea on dry land and drowned their pursuers behind them. That's what we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. And now they are en route to the promised land. But immediately they encounter problems. They're in the wilderness and they don't have water or food for such a massive community of travelers. Mm. And so the people begin to complain to Moses and Aaron about this. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. The wilderness is a really interesting um, theme and motif in the Hebrew scriptures. It can have kind of two different valences. One is like the honeymoon period where the people really learn to trust and love God. And the other is like, oh, my gosh, everything is going wrong and these people will not listen to me. So this Mm -hmm. is definitely like the latter one of those grumbling in the wilderness stories, right? Yes. And in the way it plays out in Exodus, there really is no honeymoon phase. No, they not Exodus. immediately begin to <laughs> grumble and complain. Uh, so this, this is actually uh, the lectionary story that we're looking at today is the second of these complaint stories. Mm. The first one comes just before this, when God provides drinkable water to thirsty and complaining Israelites. Mm. Even though this story is the second of the complaint and provision stories, it's actually the more famous one because of the introduction of manna. That miraculous food that appeared each day on the ground. So I think the really interesting part of the story is the way that the Israelites complaining in this provision of food and the instructions that come along with it all work together to paint a picture of how God is relating to them in this moment of great uncertainty and doubt. Mm. Now, Rachel, do you remember when we were talking a few weeks back to Ethan Schwartz about God testing Abraham? And about some of the more nuanced ways to handle that word testing. I do. There are moments in this podcast recording that just stick with me. And I feel like that that's going to be one of them. Because um, Dr. Schwartz said that testing, the Hebrew word nasa, can often have more of a, a pedagogical or even phenomenological meaning. Like the facilitating of an experience so that one can learn and grow. And it's just brilliant. 
Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. Uh, and li listeners, if you want to hear that conversation, it's in our episode on Genesis 22, The Binding of Isaac. And uh, in that discussion, we start talking about Nassah, this testing word, about 15 minutes into the episode. So anyway, that same word Nassah is here in verse 4. God says, I'll rain down food so they can collect it each day in order to test them. Lama'an mm. anasenu. Uh, will they follow my instructions or not? And there are different ways that you can read the word nasa here in this text. But I think that Ethan Schwartz's suggestion for us of testing as kind of facilitating an experience fits mm. quite well here. And in the relational dynamic that's going on. The, the, the situation here, it kind of reminds me of stories that I've heard of foster parents or adopting parents who bring a new child into their home who's been through some traumatic experience and really only knows how to cope with new challenges by acting out mm. in sort of uh, acts of self-preservation. They don't know how to trust yet. Mm. And that's kind of what happens in this story. This is a people who spent something like 400 years in bondage and they're suddenly freed and taken into God's care. So it's no surprise that when they encounter the real problem of the lack of food and the real danger of starvation in the barren wilderness, that they, they act out. They respond with words that are hurtfully aimed at their sort of foster deity. Mm. Now, Moses seems a bit taken aback by the Israelites complaining. But in this story, God really takes it in stride mm. and facilitates an experience of divine provision. Provision that comes along with instructions about how to collect the manna and when to do so and when not to do so, so that the people can learn to obey God and develop a new relationship of trust. Mm. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, especially because I think it gives a new spin on when God says to test them to see whether they will follow my instructions or not. I mean, that can kind of sound like a little bit of like, I'm going to test them and see what they're doing, you know, but it mm -hmm. can also be like, I'm going to gauge where their level of trust is that do, do they trust me yet or not? And okay, they don't. And so I'm not going to give you a magic show. It, I'm going to give you a teaching moment that will enable you to come a little bit farther on developing that trust of me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I love how God is attentive to the people's needs here, not only for food, but also for reassurance. Mm. There's this other moment in the story in verses 9 and 10, where the people are invited to approach the pillar of cloud that's been guiding them. And when they look into the cloud, and, and this is described in mysterious and ambiguous language, <laughs> but when they look, they see Hine, the <laughs> kavod of God in the cloud. The, the glory or the manifestation or the personal presence of God in the cloud. God wants them to know by experience that God is with them in this moment and has not abandoned them. Mm. So God's there meeting their, their physical needs, but also their sort of uh, psychological or relational needs as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of I mean, I love that you said that, too, especially because we don't get the description of manna. But when it actually does describe it in verse 31, it says it was like coriander seed white and it tasted like wafers in honey. I mean, this isn't just like, you know, those sort of like communion wafers you get. There's, a, <laughs> there's an aspect of pleasure to this, too. It's it's almost like God is taking into account all of you, like Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Do you remember that from yeah, Psychology yeah, yeah. 101 from college? Uh -huh. 
<laughs> yeah, in fact, in fact, that's a good point. That that might be an interesting sermon aid. Mm. And preachers, you can look that up if you're not familiar with it. Maslow's hierarchy. It's kind of like a it's a pyramid chart of basic human needs that was developed by the psychologist. It's named after in the 1940s, and it it shows that to thrive, human need yes, the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter but also safety and belonging and esteem and self-actualization. And in our story here, God is more than like a food service deity. God is meeting the people's complex human needs and facilitating an experience for their growth in trust. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Viktor Frankl. I think he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And, and he kind of flipped Maslow's hierarchy a little bit on its head because in his experience in the concentration camps, it was not the people who survived weren't just the ones who had those basic human needs met, but the ones who had the hope for the higher human needs, the hope for what they were going to do after. So God knows that you need to provide for all of those needs at once if people are going to survive and thrive. Yeah, so this 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 passage has a really complex and intimate picture of mm. of who God is and how God is relating mm. to this traumatized people. Yeah, teaching about trust I think is a perfect thing to do in this uh in this moment that we find ourselves in. So uh, do you have other advice for preachers who are working with this text? Yeah, I mean, just just to round it out here, there there are all sorts of themes that pe- that preachers could use with this passage. I know that these days a lot of us are wrestling with issues of trusting God mm. in the face of real physiological needs and real anxieties in a season of of acute uncertainty like the one we're living through right now. <laughs> and this is a passage that communicates. That well, first of all, God can handle some complaining. Yeah. <laughs> but also that God is able to provide what we need, even in seemingly impossible circumstances. That God meets us right where we're at in our weaknesses and in our doubt, and is willing to facilitate experiences that teach us over time to trust. I think all of those are important themes, and this is a great story to use to bring them out for your congregation to consider. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so timely. I mean, this is going to be a great sermon for all those parents who have uh, September 13th uh, starting kids online instead of uh, in the classroom. <laughs> Speaking maybe from experience or maybe not at that point. But thanks, Tim. That was a really rich and fruitful discussion of this text. Sure. No problem. Well, folks, if you enjoyed this, we would love it if you shared, if you uh, sent it on to your parents, your great aunt Thelma, or your um, nephew Jack. Didn't we have a bunch of Jacks in the past? No. Who was it? Dwayne. Who did we? I can't remember. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, send it along and uh, share and subscribe so that you can get all the new updates. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McDinch. Happy preaching. Who was that? Dwayne? Jack? Who did we welcome? Fred, maybe? I don't don't know. know. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.